0: I'll ask you to turn there now with Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to be reading the first eight verses. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Thereby some have entertain, entertained ain't unawares. Remember, remember those who are in, as though in prison, prison with those who are mistreated, since you also are a body. Let marriage be held honor among all. And let the marriage be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my, help, is my helper. I will fear, what can man do to, do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke spoke to you, the God. Consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same, yes, 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 today and forever. Amen.
1: Would you take your Bible, please, and turn again to the the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter thirteen. <clears throat> We find ourselves this morning in one of the most unusual books of the Bible, out alone the New Testament. Most of the New Testament letters are letters. But, but the book of Hebrews not technically a letter. You will notice, you don't have to look now, this afternoon, you will notice no real letter introduction uh, in chapter 1. And there's really no no letter inclusion in chapter thirteen. What's interesting about this about this letter, we have no idea no idea who wrote it. Except we know that this man was a very wise, a very gracious pastor. He tells us at the end of, the, end of this letter, that's not a letter, that this is a sermon. And writing to to a group of Christians who are very, very tempted to pack it in. Pressure is incredible to at least compromise. If not, just to pack the whole whole thing and kind of forget this Jesus, Jesus, and go back to what you're used to, what you're comfortable with, and especially what will keep you safe. It's not not easy to be a Christian. It wasn't in the first century, and it certainly isn't in the 21st century. Uh, we began, you began in Sunday school today to look at Pilgr- Pilgrim's progress, and it's called a dangerous journey. The Christian life is mined with all kinds of things that would hurt us, would destroy us, but to deceive us and certainly wants to damn us. Difficulty with the Christian life is, is that God lead the Christian life so that, that it doesn't work without, without God. Uh, the gospel is, is not a self-help thing. There are not like five or six or ten or steps or even ten hard, ste- hard steps on how to save yourself. The problem with Christianity is that nobody, in spite of the glaring evidence, wants to be saved in the first. And God must come and work irresistibly. It seems like behind behind this, but He works irresistibly. He draws people to them to Himself. He makes unwilling people, people willing. And that's just get it. saved. If you can say for any length of time, you know that your Christian life in many ways is like car, that the wheels are out of alignment. And if you kind of let go of the steering wheel a little bit, it'll veer Either to the right in a ditch or to the left into on one coming traffic. And we've all experienced that if a sense, if we have let go of the steering wheel of our Christian life, or even a little bit, it veers. And the veering is dangerous. It's difficult to be a Christian. It's just as difficult to be a pastor. What do you say to people who, who want it in? And not just because they have the American way, they want to pack it in because from the time of the new birth, this has been hurting, and this has been hard, and this has been difficult. How do you pastor people that you love so much that you don't like seeing them hurt? And how do you pastor people who live in a world that is maimed against everything that they are asked to believe, and on top of that, they have a God who is absolutely sovereign and has ordained every step. Every step. How do you keep your faith as you seek to try to help other people keep their faith? And the first thing, this thing, the the pastor get a hold of himself. And he has to constantly keep himself, self, God's grace, and by the Spirit in the narrow way. Half the time he feels like he feels drowning, and yet he's reaching out to help other people who seem to be drowning. And how in the world do you do it? This is a tremendous sermon, not the one I'm going to preach, but the one that was preached 2,000 years ago. And it, and it tells the people of God to press on how to persevere, how to keep going, whether it's through the swamp of discouragement and despondency and depression, or the slings and arrows of Satan Satan's attacks, or, or, at, or at times the incredible cruelty of people. And some of those people, their cruelty is in the name of the God that they worship. How do you keep going? You see, the Christian life is humanly impossible from start to finish. And in between. The difficulty with us, especially when we live in this part of the world, is that we kind of think, well, okay, we need to get jump started. God's going to put the things on and zap us. But the tendency to think that once we get this and understand it, we can make it work. And God constantly comes and he says, oh, I don't think so, so Don. I don't care if you've been a pastor for 40 years. That carries no weight with me. That guarantees Nothing. I've made your life a life so that, that you will see you've got nothing going for you from beginning to end except Jesus Christ. And God not makes my life difficult to see that I've got going for me but Jesus Christ and the gospel. But he makes it difficult so that I will want nothing else to be going for me except Jesus Christ and the gospel. You see, God has to wean me from me. God has to wean me from all those things that give me a sense of, I think I can pull this off. off. 73. I've been a Christian almost 56 years. I think I'm in the whole stretch. And God's, oh, you're not coasting down. Uh, every step of the way might be an utter, complete and sweet dependence on God. Well, the sermon is nearing its end. Not my sermon, but uh, it's, uh, the sermon. You might be here, be here till two or three. And what's the preacher going to say to these people? He, he, he gives, them, gives them five amazing warning, warnings in this book. But, but you just can't always be warning people. There needs to be encouragement. And one of the things you see as you go through the book of Hebrews, and I trust as we see this morning, the only thing that will sustain you in your Christian walk, in your Christian journey, is theology. This morning, we am going to use the outline, um, either to take notes or make a paper airplane or whatever. But there is an outline there. There. And what we're going to do, do this morning is look at these eight, eight verses in the library things. First of all, theology proper. Secondly, the theological problem. And thirdly, the theological proofs. When my secretary sent the outline to your pastor, your pastor phoned me and he thought maybe I'm going to lose it, and he didn't quite that. The outline fits the text. Well, I'm not standing at the door after, but you can talk to Dave if it does. (laughs) First of all, then, theology proper. Now, you might wonder, what in the world is theology proper? Is that the opposite of improper, like there's bad theology and there's good theology? No. The Bible is a theological book. Everything that I really need to know about this life, in this life, has been div- divinely revealed to me. I, I haven't figured, it. I haven't gone, gone to a Harvard bank, I haven't put, put my head together with my grandson to see with what we come up with. This has all been revealed. And the astounding thing is that we could get the greatest minds that have ever lived and come together, bring in Casey, And they never come up with this stuff, it is actually revealed. And the Bible tells us all kinds of theology. For example, the theology of the Bible itself, divine inspiration and infallibility. The theology, I don't know if we can say the doctrine of man anymore, more but the doctrine of people or something, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, what is true about us hu- as human beings in terms of our original creation? Our, what is our nature? How does a person like me get remade and re- restored and built so, so that I, get, I can come into the pres- presence of a holy God? There's the Doctrine Theology of Salvation. There's the doctrine of theology of the church. There's the doctrine of of eschatology, that is the study of the last things. But what we want to zero in on on this morning is the theology proper. And what that means is, is you're in all these theology areas of salvation, sin, so on, and you're zeroing in on God himself. What is God like? Because you see, the word theology is just kind of two Greek words, uh, crazy glued together to make one new English word. Theos is God, and loge is word or study or think or thinking. And and what the Bible does is it comes to a guy like me, who's all he's interested in is the sport, sports scores and. The bank bank account, and I'm going to marry, and and that kind of stuff. And, and he comes, the Bible comes to me and says, I want you to have great think thoughts about God. I want to stretch your mind so that you are thinking things that you never imagined and you would ever thought. Because if you're saved, you're going to spend all eternity with theology. Theology proper, theology pro- proper deals with nature. The essence, the being, the attributes, the character of God himself. What is God like? And there is no other God like him. No other being like him. There are not a bunch, bunch of gods, all food and all this stuff. No, no. There is only one God. I like sports, and uh, my hero we've never met. He, ha- he hasn't had the, the pleasure. But uh, my hero was Bobby Orr. And every time an upstart defenseman comes along, like that guy in Colorado, they want to comp- compare him to Bobby Orr. But there's nothing you can compare God to, absolutely nothing. There never will be, there never has been. There's no other being in existence, He not an angel. He's not a great human. human. There is only one person or being in the category of God, and that is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, in this theology proper, of course, we could, and theologians have written big books like that on the attributes of God. We just want to highlight two things, because remember, this sermon the sermon of Hebrews is written to encourage people of God to not pack it in. To not quit. To not throw up their hands and say you're not. Marriages f- the the government situation is very discouraging. This that, and the other thing. You've got to press on and you've got to persevere. Now One of the key things about theology proper is that God is transcendent. We won't spend a time on that because if you you actually look at the bulletin you would see that's not the title. But we need to understand that God transcends, he goes outside of, he is greater than all that exists. If I was able, and I'm not, I'd ask Lee, Uh, Clark to come and help me do it, and my son and others. But if I were to build a house for myself, that house would be bigger than me. It had to be. But not not. God has created this magnificent universe, and yet the very heaven of heavens cannot not contain. He is immense. He is vast. His eternity and infinite infinity and beyond. He is not confined by space or time. Uh, he is he is able to exist on not nothing but himself. He doesn't need air to, to breathe. He doesn't need food to eat, to eat. God can catch a few winks, winks before church. Today. God doesn't need to rely or be dependent on anything for his existence. He is self-existing. And he is greater than everything that is in the universe. And we must never forget that. The God that we have believed in is not a stuffy that we kind of, we kind of in our bed at night because it's dark and there's a storm outside. He is a great God and an immense God. I remember many, 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 many years ago, something similar to our video before, or in the middle of our service, and, and they did this amazing video on creation. And at the end of it, they had a thumb and a forefinger, and it looked like a dime-sized thing, only, only it was the sun. And the, and the idea was God is holding the sun just in his two fingers. What a great God. The other important truth about God is not only his transcendence that he transcends he goes he goes far beyond all that exists, but his imminence, not his eminence, and that is true he is eminently worthy to be praised and worshiped forever and ever and ever. But his imminence, now we talk, talk about, for example, her, her wedding is not At least so. The promotion is imminent. And see what these brothers and sisters need to know as they go through the uh, the bump and the grind of, of living for Jesus Christ in a world that, that is violently only opposed to him. They need to know that God is imminent. That is, he's near. He is way beyond all that he has made, and yet he is intimately involved in everything he has made. Now, what he has made is not not God. But God is so entwined and involved and active in all of the things of of humans, and especially in terms of the church. On July, July 1st, your best friends, North, of, turned 155. Tomorrow, I believe, you'll turn 246. Not some of you here, but the country. And, and both of our country have claimed t- to some degree that God has been intimately involved in, in these nations. In fact, we are called the Dominion of Canada, and the man who came up with that was a man who was reading the Psalms one day, and it said, In God's dominion, God's dominion will be from sea to sea. And we, and we have two seas, a third sea up, up north. Now, of course, our countries aren't Christian. There is no Christian country. God is God is out of the nations to build a new nation, a new humanity that Worship and adores Jesus Christ. But God is intimately involved in his, in his people. He is clo- closer than a brother. He is near. And if I'm going to persevere, I must always remember that. Just remember it. I'm, I must live in the well, it's the theology proper. We always ultimately need to ask ourselves and not running the country, and not what are they doing over in Europe or any place else? We must always ask ourselves, what is true about God? And the Bible says that He is he is imminent, He's very near, He's very involved, He walks in the midst of the candlesticks which are the church. And he knows every detail about me. In fact, the songs are astounding. He, he wrote down everything about my life before one of those days came to pass. There is no flurry of activity in he- heaven. The bank of TVs and CNN and Fox, of course, and you know, the BBC and all the different stations and God is watching, angels are coming in and out. Uh, with the, late, the latest update on the update on the latest update, update. Oh, everything is in is absolute sovereign control because it's in his control. And, and he is working every year for the sake of his church. He is predestined that when he's through with you, if you are saved, you will be in character and conduct like Jesus Christ. Astounding. Well, that's the theology proper. We have a theological problem, though. I, ho- I hope you ha- see the theological problem. It involves two aspects. The first problem is <laughs> the very nature of God. If God, if God is here this morning, we we'll You see, the essence is that he is spirit. That doesn't mean he's not true. He's just make-believe, and I've got a really best friend, and I call him, you know. No. He is of pure pure spirit essence. What is amazing about God is not not only is he there in the universe, but all of him is everywhere in the universe. It's not like, you know, I don't know the geography, but it's not like his left toe, big toes here in Dansville, and his right is in New York City, and, you know, kind of back. Everything that God is, is right here. That's astounding, isn't it? Not a part of him, him. but all that God is, in the midst of his, pe- his people, and if you're saved, he dwells in here, and here. When I was first saved, I, I, play, I played the saxophone a little. And I was playing at this concert, and I played a song, How Big Is God? He, and the song says, you know, who made, who made the mountains, who made, who made, all that kind of stuff. And the punchline is that, that he's big enough to run all of this, and yet he's small enough to live within my, in my heart. What a God. But the problem is, he's invisible. That's one theological problem. And you can see if you're going through rough times, and, and there's, a, there's a knock on the door, and your dad shows up, or your best, best friend shows up. that their, their very presence helps, doesn't it? But God never quite knocks on the door and shows up. He, he, he's always there, and I remember that, and I must believe, and I must live by, f- by faith. Here's the second theological problem, and it's me. First of all, I'm a finite creature. I know you think I'm quite a hunk, a but I have limitations. I'm so I am so wide. I'm, so, well, you know what I mean. But not only, do I only take up space, space. But I'm finite, even up here. I only know so much. Only God knows absolutely everything. He's He's omniscient. I'm kind of. <laughs> Not only am I a finite creature, but I'm a fallen creature. I I, I built in resistance to acknowledging the nearness of, of God. I was saved at, saved at 17. From the age of 8 to 17, I attempted, in a sense, to run away from God. I didn't want him near. I didn't want, he'd convict me of sin and like that. I wish he'd just get lost. Oh, I believe he made everything. I, think I even believe Jesus is lost for sinners. I believe there's a judgment day. I had an older and younger brother, so I knew I was a sinner. But after I got saved, the problem is that I'm, that I'm still fighting with resident terrorism within. And on top of that, I get data through five basic things. I touch things and taste things and smell things and hear things. And the trouble is, is how do you touch and smell God? And yet I'm told, of his imminence, that he is absolutely near that he's closer than a brother or sister sister, and I need to remember remember that all the time, but especially in the danger times and the difficult times in the times times when I'm tempted to sin, I sometimes have to deal with people who are struggling with pornography and things and and I say, you know. Next time you click that thing on, just go, hey, Jesus, come here, look at this. (laughs) And they look at me like I'm strange. And I say, well, you think Jesus is in the other room or down in the basement, or maybe you're down in the basement, he's upstairs. You've got all wrong, he's right here. You see, even pornography is a way of worshiping that is desperate trying to get rid of rid of God. But oh, if you're a believer I want to get rid of him, you need to know that he's near, intimately involved, loves you, cares about you about you. He knows you more than you know yourself, Alf. You know what he's been doing for the last 50, fifty six years. Not only telling me about him, but telling me about me, me. When I got saved in the fall of 1966, I thought I was a pretty nice sinner. Oh, I swore once in a while. Didn't always obey my parents, but you know, oh, by and large, okay. And then learning over the last 50, 56 years, Donna, what was your problem? Then Jesus didn't need to go to the cross. Your problem's you. God has been saving me from me. If you're saved, saving you from you, and that's the hard, hard thing to admit. And God let us hear and show show us. But the problem is that if I'm not careful, I will always be evaluating things by what I can see with my eyes, what I can smell with my nose, what I can t- touch, and so. But God is invisible. He is. He is pure spirit. Is everywhere, but I didn't just slap him in the face. In the face. I didn't bump into him from a body check, and he kind of moved over a little on the platform. Well, you see the problem, don't you? Am I supposed to be in a fairy, in a fairy tale? Am I talking to, to my Sticky? And it's so bad that I not only talk to the staffy, but I t- talk for the stuffy. Or is this true? Does, does this really sustain the believer as he or she is, she is going down a narrowly with many, many dangerous toils and errors? Well, that brings us to our third point, and we, we may even make it before 3 o'clock. Are there any theological proofs of the imminence of God? And our text gives us four. First of all, in verses one to four, God reassures us of his imminence, of his nearness by his precepts. You will notice, let brotherly love continue. My own own view is, that's the, the overriding preset of this section. I have a responsibility, because you see what happens when I'm going through a rough time. I, I get self-absorbed, I get into me. Not problems about getting into, into me when, when things are growing. but I get, I get into me and I want to look out for me, me. And the Bible com, comes and says no when you're going through tough times you look out for your brothers and sisters and and he and then he tells us how show hospital hospitality uh, remember remember those who are in their faith you make your marriage a holy thing for the people of God. you keep your life free free the love of money if you love the people of God now those are precepts are precepts those hands those those are teachings those instructions and you know, know from the New Testament actually many of the books they have the first few chapters is good old theology and then the application Ephesians 2 and 3 tells us about the true redemption and then it's therefore, because because these things are better be true about you. A Liar. You don't need to go for in-depth counseling. You just stop lying and start telling the truth. Are you a kleptomaniac? You get a jury, you start giving your money to money to people who really need. It. And he goes on through the, the the book, to tell us when the rubber meets the road. This is how I'm to live. The book of Romans, the first nine chapters on sin, and depravity, and the cross, and sovereignty, and all these things. And then chapter 12, therefore, I plead with you, based, based on the mercies of God, you make this, make this temple, your body, a place for God to dwell, and so on. And here we have, in the book of Hebrews... The first 11 chapters are, are filled with theology. And then in chap, chapter 12, 12 and 13, this is how it work, works. Now, now, you might say, well, what, what's that got to do with the nearness of God? It has everything to do with the nearness of God. My wife told me this story a number of years ago, and I'll share it with you. Marlene, when she was a little kid, little kid, I don't mean two, but when she was eight, nine, nine, ten, twelve, and so on, she would go outside and play with her friends, especially in the summer. And during the night, she would hear a parent say, Susie, I'm to come in now. Susie would travel off and go home. Bobby would say, oh, the street lights came on, came on, i got to go home. And Marlene said that ultimately every kid she was playing with went home, and then she went home because there was no kids to play with. And you see where I was coming from, I, I, I genuinely said, that must have been great. And she said, oh, no, no. The, the you don't know how, how much I wish Somebody would have said, Marlene, it's time to come in now. Now her parents loved loved her, but you see see, to be given steps and commands are most of the care and the love of people for you. I grew up in a non-Christian home, but when I went out, they said, Don, you're to be home at eight. Don, you're to be home when the the lights come, the street lights. Don, Don and I had to come home at the designated time. I don't know if you've noticed our world. It's Camp Monoc, isn't it? Don't you wish they had, had someone to tell them how to live? Someone who, re- who really care- cared? In fact, often the, p- often the people who are giving leadership in, a- in our nations are saying, ah, ah go ahead, do whatever you do. We don't care when you come in, we don't care what you do, we don't care but my God does. And one of the great great proofs of the of God, the ofness of God is that he gives to his peace people precepts, practical teaching. And as you work through the Bible, you see man, he deals with everything, doesn't he? He, he I'm not a latchkey kid with God. He's he's saying, do Smarten up! I love you. And when I do sin, sin, I don't get away with it. With it, God's so close that he's he's bugging me. He's worse than a nagging mother. I was going to say a nagging wife, but she's here. <laughs> God, God doesn't get get off your case. You notice that. Because you didn't, you didn't comply with this, and thus, who have lived long enough in the Lord are so thankful that He kept bugging us, that He kept, in a sense, tapping me, tapping me on the cranium, and what are you doing? He says in Romans, you know what it says in Hebrews thirteen. You know what it says in Ephesians. What are you doing? The precepts of God are irrefutable proof His imminence of His nearness, but there's something else in verse five, and that is it shows His nearness, His imminence, His promises. Look at this, Don. Keep your life free from the love of money. I don't love love money. I just love what can buy. Keep yourself free from the from the love of money, and be and be content with what you have have. Four. And here's this amazing promise: when you get to heaven, I'll turn everything into twenty percent more more. No, he said. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Do you know that the father forsake his son on the cross? That's how serious my sin was. He's promised that he would never leave me nor, nor forsake. Now this promise is fascinating for two things because first of all, it goes against, goes against good English You may not have known what actually is good English grammar. Good English grammar, you cannot put two negatives together because they make a positive. Not in Greek. It says, "Will never, 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 never in the Greek leave you? Leave you. I will never, never forsake, forsake you." And what it's doing is italicizing, it's underlining red, it's stressing. No, never. There is no way. I promise. I promise. I've got. I've, God can swear by no by no other. He swears himself, and he has promised he will never leave his people. Now the other interesting thing is in English, you know, you, y'all, can either be singular or plural. And say, I'd like to invite you, Tom, to Dave's for lunch today. That's singular. I say, I'd like to invite you all to lunch today. Now, now that would be funny. <laughs> but you know what this text says. I will never leave you singular. I'm talking to you, Don. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Don. Never, ne- never. And I'm, I say, but well, Lord, might even work right and you made them. Oh, He says, that's not relevant. What, what you need to know is I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon I promise, promise. I Where on the word of God, I, I will never shake you, no matter what happens to you. Don't you love the imminence of God? And it's not like he's over in China or something and he'll send an angel. I think at times he does send an, an angel. When he's an angel when he's there, I guess I'll, I'll ask in him, but he's here. He's, he's never had to drop something he's doing in Taiwan, Taiwan and Russia. To where where I live, because I'm in a pinch. So, we have the precepts of God that prove His nearness, His imminence. We have the promises of God of God, that prove nearness, His imminence. The third one is a very in- very interesting one, because the third proof of the nearness of God is His sister's. Look at verse seven. Remember your leaders. And that isn't the governor or the senator. Uh, that's the past pastors that placed over you. And, and uh, if you have a good, godly pastor, and I know he's my kid, but if you have a good, godly pastor, that is a mark of the care and the near nearness and the intimacy and the involvement of God in your life. Because you see, see good gods are humanly impossible. They're supernatural, they're miracles, just like you are if you're a Christian. And what you're to do is you're to use some of these gates that God has, has given you, your eye gate eight, and your ear gate. Look, look what it says, and remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God I'm to use this funny-looking thing I've got to them to hear the word of God. It comes from my godly that godly, God puts in the church. The Bible says he took captivity captive in his place. He gave gifted people to the church. That's how much he cares. That's how near he is. If you've got a good, good pastor, you know that God's met with him before he meets you. God's them up before He's going to rough you up. You're thankful for that, that. Aren't you? Aren't you thankful that you parents who disciplined you because they loved you? Aren't you glad that they spoke words of wisdom and kindness and encouragement? And oh, we are here to listen to the word as it comes through our pastor, pastors, not the guest speak. But but you can listen. But listening, listening. To those that God has placed over you, and you've been blessed. Good lesson in the middle. You have a dear, dear man and Matt, other godly people. And those are gifts, those proofs of the imminence the near God. But you're not only to, to listen, only to use the ear gate, ear gate, but to use the eye gate. Look what it says. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You see, every pastor is an audio, audio visual to the people of God as they seek to persevere and press on. You see, you're not just listening, Pastor Matt. You're watching. You? And you're observing. And you're saying, okay, okay how, how do these men handle trial and disappointments and, and discouragement? And what a great gift, what a great proof of the nearness of God, God, that he would send pastors who would speak his word, who would live his gospel before people very quickly. And sadly, it's, it's got to be quickly. It should be the fourth proof of the imminence or the nearness of God is verse 8, probably the most famous verse in the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, today, and forever. You don't get nearer to anyone that is more near than becoming like them you know that the second person of the Trinity dwelt in light and approachable for infinity and in an eternity of eternities before time began. And oh, and oh in the fullness, I am just a little speck a teenage virgin girl's womb. i going through a nine-month gestation period, then being born, being absolutely dependent on that girl. For his, for his nourishment and his care. And the God who does not need to eat, needed to eat. And the God who didn't need to inhale and exhale oxygen, had to breathe. And the God who has never slept up nor slumbered, fell asleep at the back part of the boat. What an amazing God who, who shows us his presence by becoming like us every way. Except he never sinned, or did he? He was a spotless, spotless lamb of God, and on the terrible, terrible, terrible ter- 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 day, call it Good Friday because, Friday, because we're looking at perspective, but he came, became everything that Don, Don Theobald was, so that one day I could become everything that he is. I close with this illustration. I told you about my, par- my parents. They would say be home at 8 o'clock, be home when the lights come on, whatever it might be. Well, you know, sometimes Don actually lost track of time. But most of the time, Don knew knew the time, and he just, just didn't. But you know what happened? I could almost count on it, count on it, that I would see coming down the street of the ballpark, my mom or my dad, they came to get me, and could put get in quotes, but they came to get me. Isn't it full? that God came to us? He could have stayed in heaven, just gave us a bunch of, a bunch of precepts, throw out a bunch of promises, even send prophets and preachers and evangelists and apostles and everybody else, but, but he himself came to came to get it, and he became like us in every way. And after he rose from rose from the dead and was on earth forty days and ascended to heaven, he didn't stop being like us. When you get to heaven, you will see a man in heaven, and his name's Jesus. For all eternity, he will be so near to me that he will be bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. I will bear his, bear his likeness because he bears likeness. And as it is coming, the moment I see him, I'll be like him. Oh, you've been very patient. I'm, I'm sure your pastor has gone longer than this, once or, once or twice. You're not a Christian. There's nothing out there. It's sound and wind and wind and fury. There's a savior who entered into human history. He doesn't want you to push, and you will. But you flee to him and hide in him and put your and put your faith and trust. Come out with your, hand, with your hands and pat you down to see if you've got any hidden righteousness of your own that you're trusting in. And you just hold to him for dear life, and do you know what you'll find out? He's holding on to you for dear life, life, and you will come to him, but you find out that it was him who really came to you. And you were seeking him, but oh, he sought you first. And he out and he boxed you in. He says, I'll have you as one of mine. You come today, and if you're, if you're a true believer and you're, think, you're thinking, man, this over and over and over and over and over. It's the only news you'll ever hear. This side of glory. You hold on. You press on. You persevere. You say, But I, I think about my family. I think about my health. I think think about my living. You think about Jesus. You fill your head with theology. And it will, sustain. And, it will, sustain. And, it will sustain. and it will give you staying power. You see, the fifth point of Calvinism is the perseverance of the saints. And oh, may God give us the grace. By looking to Jesus, as the author and the finisher, give us the grace to press on. He's near. You know what else is near? It says in Romans that our full redemption is nearer than the first believed. I can hardly, I, I, I can see like pilgrim of old, uh, just a glimpse of the, of the celestial city. The longer you longer you live, the more you, the heavenly anthems, anthems. The longer you live, you've had, you've had brothers and sisters gone on before you. You've been at their funerals. You say it's just a little while, and we'll be home at last.